This is a special call to action to our listeners to financially support this podcast and spread awareness of the Native Plants Dialogue through exclusive Plant Native Nebraska merch at plant-native-nebraska.myspreadshop.com. Wear our designs in your best effort to convert your friends and neighbors, or just simply look cool. Thank you for your continued support in our quest to help Nebraska plant native. Hello, and welcome to the Plant Native Nebraska podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Barlman. If you are new to tuning in, this show is for native plant enthusiasts, aspiring gardeners, suburban homeowners, growers, and thinkers anxious to learn more about growing Native American plants and creating habitat for wildlife. If this sounds like you, you've come to the right place. In today's episode, patience, mistakes, and hashtag garden goals, we go over common mistakes beginner and even intermediate gardeners can make the virtues of serenity, patience, and open-mindedness in the garden, and how your best laid plans can come true. As always, thanks for listening. We can all become victims to our inflated dreams, even in the garden. We have to deflate our wish balloons the tiniest bit so that they don't pop. We're making these fun, wild landscapes We can let loose a bit. We shouldn't take the work too seriously, even though the work is arguably important to wildlife and even to our own emotional well-being. It's great work. It's not altogether trivial, but at the same time, we can't be rigid. And great work doesn't have to be done under great pressure or perfectly. Growing a wilder, naturalistic garden is kind of like trying to rein in your wild-eyed, impulsive, and perhaps even half-insane friend. A win looks more like managing well versus perfection. Wild and naturalistic landscapes are not going to be perfect. You are not going to be on top of every little weed. And this is good because it teaches us that sterile landscapes are not really possible, not really sustainable. It teaches us to evaluate what the biggest concerns are and what can fall under the radar. We are transforming in our minds what a garden looks like. And we're also looking at what the garden gives back to us, whether that's edible plant material or cutting flowers for vases or cold brew tea. We are curating happy spaces and even bittersweet spaces where the bees come home to die. We find caterpillars of many types, broken butterfly wings, strange beetles, chrysalides, fascinating seed heads, scratchy leaves, and a kaleidoscope of colors. The garden becomes a great metaphor for the menagerie of life itself. When we get to talking about garden goals, we have to ask ourselves what we want our spaces to be. What is it that they need to provide? What are the emotions we desire it to evoke? And how do we go about getting there? How do we approach our immediate natural surroundings with a curator's eye in a practical, responsible, and wholesome way? The key is to be very thoughtful and to look, really look and really see and take in what's there so we can also imagine what we want to see. 
what we want the present to become. Is this space going to be a pollinator haven with tall plants you can feel lost in? Or is this space where grasses will be dominant or a native food forest style garden? Is it going to be a cottage style garden with a space for seeding? Or is it a hell strip that is going to have to tolerate road salt and drought? Or maybe like many of us, you have this grand vision uniting many different outdoor rooms of these various kinds of spaces. Today, I'm encouraging you to both envision your garden goals and also ask yourself what time frame you are desiring for achieving them. Maybe this is as simple as an online mood board on Pinterest or a physical one you have on your wall. Maybe it's writing down your goals manually in a garden journal or brainstorming a garden plan to install this fall and putting the dates on your calendar. Give yourself space and time to think about what work would bring you the most happiness or be the most beneficial. Look at the one thing you feel compelled to do, do it and work from there. It flows so organically from that initial jump in point. This leads into the crux of what I wanted to discuss today, which is the nature of mistakes and common ones we can make planning naturalistic landscapes. To be fair, mistakes are natural. And I've been one to actually praise mistakes and mistake making because I've only recently understood on a very deep level that is only by making mistakes, even very, very obvious and quote unquote stupid mistakes, that leads you to understanding not only what success looks like, but the awareness that success is not possible without failure. It just isn't. It's the failures that give us the impetus to find the things that do work. I'm still making mistakes in the garden, almost purposefully, because I want to make up my own mind about what works and what doesn't. I'm hopelessly stubborn. That being said, we can discuss common mistakes so that you'll either make these mistakes better or just have better ways of going about achieving your garden goals. So mistake number one, all planning and no action. I'm talking about spending hours and hours on figuring out where plants are gonna go or making up lists or even drawing out garden designs and then not following through with our plans. Dream it so that you can do it. If you're having trouble getting started, reach out to your local Native Plant Society for suggestions or resources. There are also freelance garden designers that could get you going with a simple consult or even a class. Also, some Native garden plant suppliers give out some sample garden layouts. That may be all you need to get something started and make something awesome happen. Mistake number two, ignoring the house front. Your front yard and areas leading up to the front of the house are likely the areas you frequent most, the most publicly visible spaces of your property, and the biggest opportunity to change the dialogue surrounding natural spaces. So take advantage of this in a tasteful way, using cues to care, different plants with different seasonal bloom times, and being mindful of keeping this space well-maintained. Mistake number three not prepping the space well before getting started. If you are converting a lawn space to a garden space, you need to first figure out the shape of the garden bed itself. And it should have a shape if it's not gonna be a micro prairie and you're gonna keep these areas of lawn or hardscaping around it. Your garden should have a shape, whether you are hugging your house with a gently curved garden bed 
or you're using more modern shapes with hard lines. After you figure out the shape, you can mark it out and use a sod cutter. You can scalp the sod with a spade or apply herbicide and wait four weeks before planting things in. An initial application of shredded mulch can be helpful because you're going to expose weed seed bank. Prepare to keep this area weeded so that it's very clear that this is a young developing garden bed and to give your plants the best chance to reach maturity and thrive. You can also use smothering and solarizing techniques, which we will provide links to in the show notes. Mistake number four, forgetting about ground covers. Do yourself a favor. Do your garden a great service and plant lots of ground cover plants all throughout your garden beds. Not only does this satisfy our strange desire for visual continuity, but it helps retain moisture in the soil. It helps keep unwanted plants out of the garden and it helps maximize every square inch of the garden to be providing habitat or some other functional service. There are many types of Midwestern native ground cover to use in Nebraska, whether you are looking to fill space in a sunny or shady area. Sedges also make great ground covers. They can be very versatile. Popular ground covers for sun. You've got heath aster, wild strawberry, Missouri evening primrose, Silky Aster, Purple Poppy Mallow, Pussy Toes, Prairie Clover, and many more. Popular ground covers for shade can include Wild Ginger, Violets, Wild Geranium, Zigzag Goldenrod, May Apple, Shade Asters, Virginia Waterleaf. You get the idea. There's lots of ground covers, okay? There's no excuse to not find one or more to use in your plans. Ground covers are also an important part of creating soft landings, which is a topic we will discuss soon with Heather Holm on a future episode. Mistake number five, not taking sun requirements into account or planting something that likes it wet in dry soil or vice versa. So there are versatile plants out there like Golden Alexander or Hartley Faster. They can be planted in a variety of spaces. But most plants have a preferred niche they will grow in, and they will punish you if you try them in a place where they don't belong. Plants have adapted to their environments over very long periods of time, and there are many types of environments in Nebraska. Prairie Moon has a great catalog. They're a native plant supplier if you haven't already heard of them. There are other native plant catalogs and resources out there that will give you detailed descriptions about each plant whether it thrives in sun or shade, what approximate moisture level it wants, and other things. That being said, feel free to experiment. It's good to find out some things like swamp milkweed can actually grow in dry soil happily. It's also good to know that buttonbush grows happily and blooms for me in complete shade, even though most resources say it's a full sun kind of plant. Again, just try to be thoughtful. Take advantage of downspouts for plants that need more moisture. Mistake number six, not thinking of adding in paths to weed and access the garden. You've got to have paths for medium-sized or larger spaces. For one, you want to be able to get into weed and manage your space. Maybe you need to access a host spigot. Two, you may need a path to travel to different sections of the garden. And three, a path encourages you to go deeper, to venture into the garden. Just make sure 
a path has a destination. And if at all possible, plan the paths before you plan the plants. Mistake number seven, planting a ton of tall stuff by a sidewalk or path or letting something go to seed and grow there so your paths disappear. I'm able to discuss this with you because I am very, very guilty of this. Some tall things will work by paths, but they may need to be staked or pruned to keep branches out of the way and the path clear. Some things just need to be planted a certain distance away. Should gray-headed coneflower be planted way too close to a walking path? Probably not. Have I done it? Yes. But sometimes it's just as simple as moving something a foot or two back from the path and you're good to go. Paths are a great place to experiment with ground covers nearby. Don't let tall perennial seedlings seed into your paths, keep them weeded, or pot the seedlings up quickly for planting elsewhere. Mistake number eight, planting several aggressive plants when it's more practical to control one or two. Hmm. Is it easier to control a room full of aggressive people or a few? Maybe one is enough. Maybe you can handle two. Just be realistic. Don't plant five garden bullies in your garden bed. Look for plants marked as aggressive or that spread by rhizome or aggressively by seed. That being said, it's good to try things out. There's plants I don't mind being weedy in certain places. Maybe you keep those things confined to a specific space in the garden and they aren't allowed out of it. Maybe you have a plan to keep these things contained. And then anything that ventures out is pulled and composted or potted up and moved elsewhere or gifted. It's okay to find some plants to be too overwhelming for you to grow. You can just let these go and choose plants you're more comfortable managing. Mistake number nine, not planting most things in drifts. So when you plant things in groups of three or five or seven or nine, they're very visible. Your garden looks cohesive. The colors are more vibrant. Pollinators have an easier time spotting a plant. They have plenty of snacks to be able to hang out in the same place for a while. Also, if you're into foraging, you have more plant material right there to harvest from. It's okay to plant some plants singly as a focal point. Maybe you have a single swamp milkweed or black cough viburnum as a statement plant, but plant most other things in drifts for maximum visual impact. Also makes weeding easier when it's more obvious what plant grouping is actually supposed to be there. Mistake number 10, trying to do too much all at the same time. I've saved the best for last. Start small. For the sake of all that is good, start small. Don't spread yourself too thin by trying to tackle your entire property all at once. Make a mental list of priorities. Start from number one on that list and work out. It's easy to complete something and move on and start getting a true idea if you can take on more. Successful wild spaces need to be managed due to our introduction of invasive exotic species and the fact that we, 
and our neighbors are living close to these wild spaces. So dream big, dream very big, but start small and keep what you complete maintained. The final talking point of today's episode is patience. You are not going to have a fairy tale landscape in three weeks. You are going to embark on a journey where you will discover firsthand that good things take time and that some things get better with age and also that you will not have the same garden year after year. You're going to lose a few plants to drought and disease and other causes. Some plants are going to try to spread out a bit. You'll manually edit things out you decide against for various reasons. Maybe you will impulsively plop some new finds in, or you will decide to move a yellow blooming plant next to another one that's blooming purple right now. Also, there are many plants that take years to reach their full glory. So just sit back and enjoy the different stages of progress and know that if you keep it something like practice, you inevitably get better, your garden inevitably gets better. And while you are practicing, you have the knowledge that you are creating habitat and replacing sterile and exotic landscapes with little wildlife value. Sometimes friends that come to see my garden will audibly sigh when I say this is year five of the garden. And you know what? I'm still figuring out what its best is. I'm still looking for ways to make it even better whether it's letting go of plants that aren't performing well in favor of trying new things, working in ground covers and native grasses. Making a garden is something that can really take a lifetime or more. And part of that is where the excitement comes from. It feels new. And at the same time, an endless interactive sandbox to play in. In our show notes today, I'm including some resources for you that go along with these talking points that will help you get your plans in a state to be a reality. And I hope today's episode has been helpful and enlightening. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Plant Native Nebraska podcast. If you need notes on anything mentioned in today's episode, check our website, plant-native-nebraska nebraska.captivate.fm for more info. I want you to know you've made this podcast special just by listening in, but if you found real value in today's talk, you can both financially support future episodes and dive deeper into the topics we share by finding us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash plant native Nebraska. Thanks for listening. I also wanted to put out a special call to action to our listeners to assist at the pollinator plantings at Mason Park in Bellevue. You can visit the Bellevue Native Plant Society webpage at bellevuenativeplants.org, click on the local volunteers needed tab, and scroll down to see all of our workdays. See you there, and as always, thanks for listening.